0: be the guy. Everyone loves to know a guy. As long as you can be that guy, you'll always be well set in your community. And so I think we should all be striving to be somebody's guy for something.
1: Nikki P, what's up, man?
0: How's it going there, boss?
1: All living the dream. We uh we're having a snow day in Fort Worth, Texas, which doesn't happen too much, but uh got the whole family in the house. Most of the roads are, are pretty rough, so us Texas folk can't drive in the in the uh slick roads for sure. You probably well, know that already.
0: Well, the Ohio people up here can't drive in the snow either. I'm I'm originally from upstate New York where we where just live in six feet of snow for you know half the year. So, I can only imagine Texas is worse if you get snow.
1: Oh, my gosh. Man, it, it can rain a little bit in Texas, and people are, are freaking out and are terrible at driving in the in the wet. It's just – it gets rough. I, I drove to work uh, the other day, and it hadn't even started getting real slick, and there was five or six cars on the side of the road already. So, it's just part of it here in Texas, I guess. Hey, uh, so – you're, uh, you're working on a book. Marketing is an R word. Tell me what that title means.
0: I think especially like, there's so many marketers nowadays, like everybody's a marketer. I mean, you go and if you even set up a webpage, you're going to get 3000 people contacting you every day claiming, Oh, I'm a marketer. I'm going to make your webpage better. The thing for me is that like, I think marketing is something that we all do as people. It's uh, it's, or at least, when you think of how to market properly, you need to be thinking about it from the perspective of a people. Um, I once did a an article called "The Ten Commandments for My Family," and it was like all the rules that I laid out for my daughter, like how to maintain relationships, when to maintain relationships, and the things to like that should be important to you. And one of the things that kind of stuck out to me is like all that stuff that I wrote out in that applies to marketing. Like if you, we, we have these buzzwords like no, like trust that everybody knows in marketing and it's, that's what you're trying to build. It, it, it could easily be shortened to the word rapport. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that you're going to build a relationship with people that you're someone that they are willing to look forward to in the future to help them.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: at no point in your business does that ever not become true because if you want people to keep coming back, you have to keep maintaining that level of trust. You go and buy a product. And I can tell you right now, I have plenty of companies that have burned me on a product and I'll never buy them again. Like I had an expectation of trust that was turned down. And so, you know, we, we've entered into the world where, you know, I think to, to stick out, everyone's writing their own book. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to write a book, that seems like the book that I would write. Let's just kind of talk about relationships and how they pertain to marketing and what you can learn from one to utilize in the other.
1: Nice. Yeah. There's, a, there's that old adage, uh, people buy from who they know and trust, which I think a lot of people hear that.
0: Well, I think commandment number seven to my daughter in the, my 10 commandments was be, be, the, be the guy. Everyone loves to know a guy. As long yeah. as you can be that guy, you'll always be well set in your community. Yeah. And so I think we should all be striving to be somebody's guy for something. How long have you been a marketer? I mean, officially, <laughs> uh, good hot mic. Uh, officially, I've only been doing it for the past, let's say, since last uh, last April uh, mm-hmm. when I officially dove into it. Now, I'd I'd spent five years before that as a podcaster and learning all these skills on my own for my own projects, mm-hmm. and reading absolutely everything I could come up on it. And so, I joined a mastermind a little bit over a year ago and. Like the things that I was kind of timid about saying that I could do, I got people asking me to do for them. And like, were very happy with how I did the job. It's like, oh, well, apparently I am, you know, I, I, it took a while to guess, get, get out from beyond my own imposter syndrome.
1: Oh yeah.
0: (laughs) It's like, I wish I'd have done this years ago, but. uh,
1: That's how I felt about podcasting as well. Like I wanted to do it, but I was like, man, I don't know anything. What. You know, why, why would anybody want to listen to me?
0: Well, right? more importantly, when the world is saying, look, we don't need another white guy podcaster. Like another dude in his 30s, yeah. white, feels like the world needs to know what he thinks about stuff. We're tired of that. And frankly, I once tried to have a product, literally was just trying to teach parents to start podcasting and to get uh-huh. your kids podcasting. And the reason I think it's so important is because When we started really getting into the era of cancellation, I think that it was so important that you would get out there and actually put out content and lots of it that really dictates who you are. So when someone comes out with accusations, oh, so-and-so did this and said that, well, "Well, I'm on record for thousands of hours saying exactly who I am. And if you think that this one thing that this person's trying to gotcha me with is who I am more well, I'm sorry. Not to mention, you build your 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 tribe and your your people that are with you, that so you're always going to have go to bat for you, so to speak. So it's almost,
1: uh, so you're telling people to podcast because it's almost like uh, recording your life instead of you know putting posting something for the audience, but it's almost like a record of you. That's kind absolutely. of absolutely
0: like it, it's, it's it makes it way tougher for people to presume who you are when you've been screaming it into a microphone for years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. So you said, uh, uh, you know, a 30 year old white guy. Is it Do you you feel like it's a, it's a tough time to be white right now? No,
0: I would never say that. Like, and, and to be clear, like I, I am in a mixed race relationship. I have a very, very dark wife. I have a, I have a very, very in between us child. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would never say that my life is tougher because I'm white. I think that this is certainly not an era where people are at least going to say crap about me that I don't think bodes well for the future, but mm-hmm. in the ways that whiteness is talked about, what really bothers me is my daughter in the future, because when you're trying to create a tension between white people, black people, and then you have this generation of people like our generation's kids there's a lot of not either's in there and how are those people going to be treated treated in a society that wants to make a stark delineation on the dumbest thing in the world yeah yeah
1: so how do you feel about uh you know just americans instead of uh african americans or asian americans what what about assimilation is that something that that's a tough one right
0: well, we 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 were talking a little bit earlier about libertarianism, and frankly, I'm I'm a, a, a you be who you are person, mm-hmm. and I don't really care who anyone wants to be. Like, um, I I once dated a girl in college who had had relatives in the Klan. That was mm-hmm. stupid to me, but I didn't really have to worry about them because we were just dating. Probably wouldn't have married her. All right. Like, but in that regard, like. There's so few of those people, like it's a novelty to be able to say, I dated a girl who had relatives in the clan, which so brings, which brings, up another point.
1: Yeah, which brings up another point. It's, it's like, uh, I don't know what the phenomenon's called, but the, the, the squeaky wheel gets the oil or, or the fringe is getting all of the, all of the noise. You know, we hear the far left's opinion. We hear the far right's opinion, mm-hmm. but everybody in the middle is real quiet. And
0: well, one of the things that like, and I, I, I dwell on that one a lot in particular because it's like, I grew up in like a punk rock scene. And one of the things that strikes me is that part of the thing about being punk rock is that we were the outsiders mm. and it just feels like the punk rockers infiltrated everything mm. and then blew up the whole system. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's not good because it leads to instability like i think that having people that are on the bleeding edge of change is always good like you have the people that push the boundaries and see what works see what makes us better as people but you can't have everyone pushing to see how far they can get and what makes it better because when you do that there's no center there's no mass there's nothing holding it together Mm -hmm. it just becomes something that's inevitably going to dissipate now do you you need to you know be specifically how do we say it uh Lock yourself in to make nationality important. I don't know. But to go the other direction, feel like we all have to be part of this concept of one world globalism. Well, that's, that's a whole different thing entirely. And I'm like, I don't like that anymore than I like nationalism. I just think we all need to worry about finding the people that make our lives happy and make us capable of making the world you know better tomorrow.
1: Yeah. Speaking of uh, globalization, I just read this book, uh, The End of the World is Just the Beginning. Uh, <laughs> Peter Th- Thielen, I think is how you say his name, is the author. And it's, the, the brunt of the book is about world demographics, about China's demographics and Russia's demographics. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, they have an aging population that, you know, in 10 years from now, it's going to be a wild world, is what he's saying. But i would I would definitely uh, keep an, keep an eye on uh, globalization if you will, because you know, according to this guy's book, we're going be it's going to be a lot more local in the next 10, 20 years because um, globalization James, is semi-failing.
0: James Howard Kunstler, I think is his name. he's done a lot of work on what like he thinks like we've reached peak oil and then it's going to be none and then we're all going to be living in little tribes again without computers and modern technology. I don't necessarily agree with that, but uh, I do think living a more, you know, communal life or with, with more mm-hmm. paying attention to what's around you more is always going to be better. Mm-hmm. I mean, the bottom line is, is we, we have a lot of problems specifically because people are focusing on problems that they're have no control over. I will, I would personally argue that the fact that we're more concerned about the idea of global warming than the fact that soil erosion yeah. is completely bonkers. Like, mm-hmm. we have soil that we can't grow food in anymore, and it'd take a hundred years to fix the damage we've done. Meanwhile, there's recorded history of it being a lot warmer and a lot higher c- carbon concentration. In fact, if you go into any greenhouse in the country, you're going to get higher carbon concentrations because, oh, wait, all the food that we eat relies on higher carbon concentrations. It's weird. But meanwhile, no one's talking about the fact that we we what was it two hundred tons of topsoil every year goes into the the delta there yeah. with all of that uh all the chemicals from bear sitting in there, making it, not able to have things living in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. That Sorry, to get so conspiratorial so quickly, you know.
1: No, no, no. The that image is not as clear, so the media can't make the the real, you know, the paint the picture of you know death and destruction and fear. So they don't they don't hardly talk about that. Don't I? I don't know uh, enough to speak on, you know, global warming. But it seems that sort of like uh, organic food. Organic, you know, that stamp of organic has, you know, it's now a, you know, marketing scheme. Oh, this is organic. Oh, this is organic. I mean, mean, I can show
0: you the government papers on it. I I did a podcast and my my podcast I had used to have called Free Markets Green Earth, specifically Uh where we talked about like the the hilarious nature of what organic means in a legal sense and the number of chemicals that are okay to have on your food and still call Mm -hmm. it organic. There's like 200 different chemicals yeah. that are allowed to be present. And it's like, that sure sounds organic. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, that's something that,
1: uh, you know, the the term GMO is is demonized. You know, I don't get me wrong. If it's bad for you, it's bad for you. But if, we, if a GMO is uh, better for the body, better for humans, uh, then, you know, it could be a good GMO. It could be a bad GMO. So we just demonize it right away because it's non-organic well, or whatever. And,
0: and that's, uh, that would be my big thing is letting anyone do your thinking for you. Yeah. Like weigh the options, do, do the research. What does this mean? I mean, let's be honest. The, the native Americans were modifying food by crossbreeding crops and yep. learn, having them do that in a gen, like natural genetic way. Mm-hmm. Is it so much different when we do it in a lab? I don't know. But we also don't necessarily know what all of what we're doing when we do that. There could be things that are latent that we don't see or notice. Mm -hmm. The big thing is for me, it's like creating, treating humanity. Like it's an experiment where we don't get to have a control. It's like, we just started, you know, running experiments on everybody globally and nobody gets to be like the guys that we don't run the experiment on. So how do you know what's what's because of the experiment and what's not? You, you never get that, which makes yeah. your data kind of all useless in a strange way.
1: Yeah. You said something a minute ago, uh, letting everybody else think for you. I think that's a big problem. We're, we're you know, the generation that you were talking about, our kids uh, are, you know, not thinking. They're just, taking these uh it's almost like taking short clips off the internet or short clips off a television or whatever and just going with that no matter what it's very shallow you agree with that well
0: and i'm of two feelings on this because people take this and go both ways with it um i I homeschooled my daughter because it seemed like the better option to me like Mm -hmm. not because i need to indoctrinate her into mine but because i'm going to try and limit as much indoctrination (laughs) period but then we have people like the flat earthers who are so dead set against listening to anyone and considering anyone an expert that they refuse to accept basic precepts. Mm-hmm. And that's also a danger to me. It's like, I'm, I'm not going to ever sit here and go, well, no one in authority deserves it. And everything must be wrong because then I'm making the same problem in the opposite direction. All we can do is, Look at what we know, get as much information as we can, and synthesize it. See what what makes sense, you know? And, and guess what? We, we may not all agree, but what we'll probably find out in 50 years is that neither of us was 100% right. Oh, for sure. Like, the it's the idea of, like, resting on everything like it is, you know, scientific law when, you know, even scientific law changes over time. Oh. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a frustration.
1: So you homeschooled your your daughter, and do you did you do a lot of research in the public schools around you, and decided it just wasn't the route to go, or what, what made you make that
0: decision? Uh, my wife was a is a first generation homeschooler. She was homeschooled by her parent, her mom. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, what it really boiled down to was I remembered how much school made me hate reading. Mm. And mind you, I did well in school. I went mm-hmm. through college. I got a degree because it's just what you do after high school. And I remember when I was 10, how much I loved to just go out, buy books, no worries. but uh, you go out and read books. And then I remember how it you couldn't have paid me to read books in, in high school. And it took me kind of like rediscovering a passion for learning in college. Mm. And the only thing that made that happen was just the way that school was like, everything at school was a problem. I remember my eighth grade English teacher turning my eighth grade English class into a Holocaust education class. All we did was read books about the Holocaust. And while it's a terrible thing, like is that really what my eighth grade English class is for? We could, we're reading about it in in history class already. Like I'm, do we just need more Holocaust propaganda? (laughs) Um, so it was just memories like that. and, I never wanted my kid to to hate learning. I never wanted her to resent being told to learn things. So yeah. It's like you do yours, and and I've lived with the explicit rule that when people stop telling me how smart my kid is, I'll consider putting her back in school.
1: Right, right, yeah. We, me and my wife, we go back and forth and uh, about you know where where our kid's gonna go to school. He's only two right now, uh, so we got a little bit of time. It's you know. Public school is something that there's obviously benefits to. I think, you know, socialization is important. Uh, I'm definitely an extroverted person. My wife is a little bit introverted, but I think, uh, you know, the, the, the opposition to, to being in homeschool is, Hey, let me, you know, you're going to go out into the, into the world and have to deal with people on a daily basis. You know, let's, let's get you started there. As a homeschool time,
0: propagandist. Go ahead. You know what I remember about school? Shut What's up and that? sit down. Yeah. That's that's the socialization I got in school. You know what my daughter gets to do? My daughter gets to go to the, go to the library, go to the science museum mm-hmm. with the other kids in the collective. You know, the other families that want to homeschool. And, I, and guess what? When she I, goes out, she doesn't talk to kids her own age. She talks to adults. So mm-hmm. the idea of her not being able to converse with people is frankly ludicrous. She's super outgoing. <laughs> Sure. Like most of, most of my, like I, I'm, I'm not an, an extrovert. I am very much an introvert. And most of what made me that way was just feeling like crap because of all the cool kids at school. Like mm. it was the idea of like people, people that aren't mature enough to be wealthy, flaunting their wealth around you, things like that. Mm. And it's mm. like you, you internalize that at a young age and ma- it makes it difficult to ever Feel like you're a valuable person because I mean to be honest, in my 30s, I'm still undoing the damage of internalizing the lessons from middle school. You know,
1: yeah. So that's interesting um, because I also feel, and I went to a I went to a crap school. Uh, My public school was terrible. I won't I won't call them out, but it's it's not it's not a good one. It's still to this day not a good one. But I remember, you know, I think back and. I can't remember what documentary I was watching not too long ago, maybe maybe four or five years ago. Uh, maybe I'll remember it later. But he said he basically said, "Yeah, public school will make you an will make you an employee. You know, that's what they're teaching you to be is is an employee, which
0: supposed to do. That's what it's supposed to do. It was literally to turn the well, my my uh, immigrant ancestors, the Irish and the Italians and." Make them stop drinking on the job. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, why it was brought about. We need these people to show up, not drunk, and build right. this crap for us in the Gilded Age. Right. Oh wow! If you want to, if if you want to know a real good excuse for sending your kid to public school, and this is the one that I will accept from anyone, be having two full incomes, because mm-hmm. it gets really, really frustrating sometimes. Like my wife works third shift for UPS. Mm-hmm. And that's how we kind of make ends meet. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes it's just it's like, God, you know, we could just send her to public school. You can get like a full-time regular job and then all of her money problems are over. Mm-hmm. But then I get upset thinking, man, it's, it's weird. The system is structured in such a way that it'd make you have to do that to make you yeah. have to send your kid away for eight hours a day to not be around you, to not have that time when they actually want to be around you. Mm-hmm. have it be an option so it's, it's an awful frustrating thing that being said anyone who says they can't afford it in that it would be difficult that one i can get mm-hmm. outside of that the value of public schools eh. i mean i mean like one point in time like so my kid can be raped or taught to hate herself and uh, neither of those things looks good to me right you know i'd rather you know and, and on top of that like you know, when we first had the kid, uh, if you want to send them to like daycare when they're younger, daycare is the worst one. I'm gonna bite that bullet. Look at how much daycare costs, and then look at what your income is going to be, mm-hmm. and it's going to be entirely one of your incomes. So it's like you might as well stay home with the kid and not work because it's going to cost you as much as the does. The, you're going to net nothing, but a mm-hmm. lot less time with your kid.
1: Hmm. Interesting. So. Let's, st- let's stay here for a second. <laughs> okay. So, so let's try to think of some positives of public school. We got the negatives, and honestly, I agree with it. both all the negatives that you've said so far. So what are, what are the positives of, of going to public school? Give me a, give me a couple if you can. <sighs>
0: um, it's easy, and, and I think that is a big one for people, is that they don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. it's just like you know hey we've got options and opportunities here and while i say that i think that those become less and less every day you find you have less extracurriculars less band less arts and things like that i was lucky i went to a a very good rural school in upstate new york Mm -hmm. that you know my senior year i was able to do independent studies in art (laughs) So, so like i i explained to my teacher how Hey, this one project that I just want to work on all year because I want to work on it all year. Can you give me credit for that? Sure. Uh, like if you, if you, I mean, for me, like that's, that's really what, what it boils down to in the positives. And probably because I've just been so outside of that system for so long. Like, I really don't see, like, I don't see what it could offer me that I can't go like, what field trips I take my kid to field trips all the time like I can go to any museum I want in Cleveland like I have a room every day if I want to yeah. um I guess it'd be I'd say maybe it makes it easier to make friends but that's kind of what are you classifying as a friend at that age Very and true. I remember I, picking I up enemies it. just as easily
1: oh for sure for sure okay so um what if, so you're naming off a couple of things here that are that are hard things uh, making friends and keeping them which I have zero almost zero of the friends I had in high school um, yeah same same with the enemies though I'll say that I don't yeah. I don't know any of them either uh, that's a that's a hard relationship thing to do uh, it's a hard thing to get past some of the crap that you're gonna learn from teachers that are trying to put their own prerogative or their own, uh, you know, like your Holocaust English teacher, like she should have been teaching English and maybe, you know, different, you know, whatever English cat class is supposed to entail yet. Everything's based on the Holocaust. Well, that's probably because that's what's in her mind and that's what she wants everybody to, you know, she thinks she's doing a good thing. So that's her prerogative. Uh, and then you also mentioned, uh, uh you know, maybe not being uh, a part of the popular kids, which I, I have both I have I was definitely uh, in my freshman year of high school, I hadn't hit puberty yet and I would I would consider myself bullied, but I did um, have one one ace in the hole, if you will, I was a pretty good baseball player.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: did end up getting to be, you know, at that social hierarchy, not at the top, but move through it a little bit.
0: Well, my point, and, of me- and while I ahead. talk about, like, while I talk about like having all this angst and crap in me, mm-hmm. I was, I was still voted most unique as a superlative in high school. It's not like I wasn't an unpopular person. <laughs> like it's, it's okay, the nature so of like. Def- so even when you're a popular tra- kid, you still get all the baggage. <laughs> like okay. You really look okay. at, I want you, I want you to tell, you, tell me right now, how many people do you know? that don't in some way feel like they're not doing as good in life as they could be. And let's, how let's many, ex- I- take, let's take that and like say anyone who's ever looked at Instagram doesn't feel crappy about how they're doing in life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I agree. like No matter how good you're doing, you're always <laughs> not doing as good as you, you could think you should be.
1: Yeah. Um, and honestly, I don't, I'm not sure that's a terrible thing. I think the Instagram stuff is, uh, Hey, I want everybody to believe that I'm doing great, which I'm still, I still haven't unboxed that yet. I I have social media. I don't post very much. Uh, I used to more, it's just not my thing. Really. I just, I can't figure, I can't find the value in it personally, but. The less you
0: use it, the more happy with it you are. I'll tell you that much. I think, I think the social media I use the most anymore is LinkedIn.
1: Yeah. And- LinkedIn is is a, not a bad one for sure, especially if you hire people. If you you know if you're a business owner or manager yeah. or something. So, hey, the reason why I brought up all those things though is because you you don't believe that the uh, there was a lot of value that was brought to you by exposing you to all those hard things, all those hard relationships, all those hard you know uh, things that you don't like about public school.
0: I mean, I guess my point is I don't think that that's the only way you come across some of them. And Mm. I guess, you know, maybe my kid would get some value out of me throwing rocks at her too. Sure. Maybe – but maybe we don't need to do that either. Like it's – Yeah. is is just because something's hard really mean it imparts value. And that's something I I think you have to face. Like I think that because of how interconnected our world is, inevitably she's going to have to deal with people. Mm Mm-hmm. But is she going to be more emotionally mature and able to deal with that when she's not, not had to deal with all the angst and baggage that like the rest of us have? And maybe I'm wrong. I'm not, but that being said, I, I feel like we should, we should be able to test that experiment, not throw everyone yeah. into the same meat grinder and not know what that, the, you know, the opposite is.
1: No, 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 this is a good dialogue though because here's another thing. I've had the same thoughts. I've, have you know, uh, not, not told my wife, or I've suggested, hey, if we homeschool him, uh, couldn't we get the social value that he might get by going to public school through extracurricular activities like, you know, baseball, piano class, uh, dance class, you know, all those things? Don't you think it would be just as valuable? And we don't know. We came I'm, to the we came to the answer of we don't know.
0: What I will say is you're in one of the best states for that. Mm. Like the options in Texas, especially in the particular area of Texas that you're in, mm-hmm. for homeschooling people is wild. Yeah. Like when we were like up here, um, things got really weird in the past two years. Like basically you had the hard left-right divide that happened within the homeschool community. Yeah it didn't seem like that was as bad in Texas when we go down there to visit. But I talked yeah. to like the parents in the, like down there that do it and it's like, good Lord, I wish I had so much to do. Mm. Yeah.
1: Texas is, I'm very thankful to live in Texas. I tell my family all the time, Texas is the only cult I'm a part of. And then I, <laughs> it's the only one because it's just a, it's a great place. Just like you said, lots of extracurriculars, lots of things to do. Weather is really good. Most of the year, uh, except well, for see right that's now. the one.
0: That's the thing I'd have to argue with you about because I like it, oh, like yeah, it cold. I like it cold. Uh, I keep yeah. trying to talk the wife and move into moving to like New Hampshire or Alaska or something. New Hampshire. My my wife's actually from Texas way back. So, oh. so we we what have that, Texas is she from uh, where? I th- want to say she actually was from. Oh God, Fort Worth is where she's actually out of. Oh really? Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. She's like she she keeps telling me she wants to take me back to the stockyards one of these years, and I'm like, oh, sure, <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, I'm familiar with the stockyards, obviously. It's uh, it's cool. I mean, it's a big piece of history. It's she, you and, know and, where and, the and west begins,
0: and that's kind of like her idea of the stockyards is also from like when she was like six or seven. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's so, probably a little bit different now. The the yeah. city's built around the stockyards, um,
0: and, I, and I think I had a, uh, one of my friends from back in the day. He actually was a bartender <laughs> somewhere down there, and he mm-hmm. he had a very different remembrance of the stockyards than she did. So yeah. there's there's a uh,
1: there's a lot of fights that happen at the bars in the stockyards for sure.
0: <laughs> nice
1: for sure. Yeah. So um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you. Do you feel like we have a, a victim culture in
0: America? I think people – I think I think that there are people that would like us to have a victim culture. I don't think that we're mostly bought in even. I think some of the loudest people think that we, we have it and they find value in it. Um, what I can say is like specifically like for my daughter, um, mm-hmm. it would be real easy to say, look, your life is going to be tough with you because you're black and people are going to be – worse on you because you're black.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But does that have any value to her and me telling her that?
1: None. It really like does. For, for
0: me, it's like, yeah, people might look at you, but they're stupid. There's probably not going to be that many of them. And no matter what, like there's many people that dislike you for all kinds of reasons that mm-hmm. that one's not any more special to me than any other reason. Mm-hmm. So you go out, you try your hardest. And if you succeed or fail on your own merits, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm.
1: Man, I don't claim to be an expert at anything, but man, I really do believe that's the, that's the strategy right there is try to, try to give them discipline, try to give them uh, love that, you know, no matter what, you're going to love them mm-hmm. and tr- try your best to build a strong character in that, in that little human that you're making. And mm-hmm. that is, that's what I've learned so far from all the podcast guests and all the reading that I've done. If you teach them to be a victim, their life is going to be miserable for a long time, forever maybe. They'll have to grow themselves out well, of it's, it.
0: It's all, all, like, all that crap that I was talking about, feeling all the, the emotional mm-hmm. pain from like, being in middle school and high school and all that, it's like you're just setting up to wall, wallow in that forever. And mm-hmm. that never served me of any value all the crap that and baggage that I carried around. Mm-hmm. Look, Just believe, believe that you can do things and try to do things. If you mm-hmm. fail, it's because... Sometimes things are just hard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Things are hard. And like I I was, you know, trying to make a point, I guess, is exposure to hard things is, I think it's necessary. Because if you don't, then, you know, when it does happen to you, you get beat down by it.
0: Well, and I think there are plenty of ways to do that. So, like, I was a cross-country runner in college, Mm -hmm. and high school, Mm -hmm. despite looking like I do now. (laughs) And, uh, you know... What was funny is I, my a joke. My coach always said there's two people that were good at cross country runners. They're running and it was people that are really smart and can talk themselves out of the pain mm-hmm. or people who are too dumb to realize they're in pain. Yeah. And that's up to you to decide which one of those you are.
1: <laughs> that is such a great analogy. Golf. I play golf. Same thing. Uh, Phil Mickelson says, Hey, you can be a super smart golfer or a super smart guy. And be good at golf. You'll know all the analytics. You'll mm. understand, you know, yardages. Uh, you'll understand swing paths and and you know striking stuff. And you can you can analyze all that and be great at golf, right? But you can also be a dummy and not think about any of it and so be so you can so have so.
0: Six hundred yard drive and <laughs> equalize a lot of things.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's a. Yeah, I think your running coach was exactly right. You can you can be real smart about it, real you know uh, articulate or whatever you want to say about it, but you can also be just you know. Uh, but uh, I
0: like guess it's, it's, where, where I was getting at. so it's like you're, you can have tons of hard things you can do. Like there's always mm-hmm. sports. I'm a, I'm a musician. Like go out and play music, learn how to do things, and you know if you want to do them well and you want to get better at them, hard is just part of what's going to happen. Like it's just a natural the natural progression of doing anything long enough you know if you play guitar in your house eventually you're going to want to go play in front of people mm-hmm. and if you play in front of people long enough you're eventually going to want to go make money playing in front of people mm-hmm. and each step up is another level of difficulty that you either have to decide you want to do or not do and you can't really know any better until you're there
1: so you said you're a musician does your daughter play mu- any music does she play any instruments
0: um not yet she does like to sing. She likes to dance. I don't think she's she, she's decided quite yet exactly what she wants to do, and that's not a problem for me. Like I've always yeah. sang, much like she mm-hmm. does. I didn't pick up my first instrument. Like I played saxophone in the band in high in school,
1: mm-hmm. but I
0: didn't pick up guitar, or bass until I was going to going to college, mm-hmm. and you know I. I you know now like during the summers I'll go out and play the bars downtown and you know make money doing covers and stuff like that so it's like I didn't even pick it up until I was in high school and I still managed to you know be a professional about it yeah
1: that's cool um my dad uh he sings in the choir at church and I like to I like to sing a little bit terribly but I like to try and I've noticed that my son is starting to uh you know, pick up the end of lyrics of songs and start projecting out a little bit. He's 26 months old, you know, a little, little over two years old. And it's like, oh, wow. So the other day uh, I was watching a video of Travis Barker on my phone and uh, he just called out drums, drums. I'm like, yeah, that's the drums. That's exactly right.
0: Well, and if so you're going to to be a drumsticks. musician, that's the one yeah. to start with because I could tell you right now, I've, I've never had enough drummers for all the things I wanted to do musically. It's really? The most, it's the most sought after thing, uh, it's most sought after position in, for musicians.
1: Interesting. interesting. Like there's, there's we- always
0: plenty of people that want to sing, plenty of people to play guitar, but finding a drummer is really hard, especially one's that are good. So you start oh. them early enough and get them good, they'll never uh, want for anything in their life.
1: <laughs> interesting. When well, I can remember in like uh probably 4th or 5th grade, the middle school band teacher came and uh, you know how they do little tests to see if you're musically inclined or whatever. I can remember that. that <laughs> I'll take your word no, for it. It's
0: been a long time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can remember him trying to. He was t- talking me in, or trying to talk me into playing percussion, playing the drums and mm-hmm. stuff. And I was already so, uh, like I said, semi bullied or whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. I was like, No, I'm not joining the band. Are you kidding me? That's another. That's a, another target that that could be on me being in the band. And I wish that was one regret that I had from public school was, man, I should have just went in there and done it because it, it would have been a very valuable
0: now. Well, and what's funny about that is you, you when you, the way you talk about them, like well, all the popular kids were in band and chorus in my school. Oh really? Like, yeah. <laughs> Which wow. is why I, I became friends with all of the, that type of people because, yeah. you know, I was always into music. And so like I was in pop choir and, you know, did band up until like I decided I want to do more with art than than yeah. I did with with band. I liked singing more than I liked paying attention to my saxophone. We'll say that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that's fun. How old are you, Nikki? Uh, I am
0: thirty eight, I think now.
1: Thirty eight. So I am thirty three, and I would say the the South or Texas probably moves slower or differently. As far as what's popular, what's not popular. See, and I would
0: think because you guys did like the drum corps thing, like bands would be even, even more popular down there. It's Isn't it just drumline everything? Uh, I think that's Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> just Georgia.
1: Atlanta only. Just Atlanta. Just Atlanta. They, they're the best drumlines, and that's just where they <laughs> – Man, Nick Cannon
0: painted a weird picture of the country for me, I guess.
1: Well, was Nick Cannon – I thought Nick Cannon was in Atlanta, Georgia – for that movie drum line. i guess
0: i maybe i just think of the south as being one big thing like there's the south and florida i guess i didn't think of georgia as being different
1: oh georgia and florida are quite different uh, i know florida is
0: i i'm technically if i'm from florida like I, oh. I was born there and i lived most of my life upstate but we'd go visit family down there and yes florida is its own thing there's a reason florida man is a meme yeah
1: yeah for sure florida is uh Honestly, it's kind of similar to Texas. We're, I would say we're different than other Southern states too. Okay. Uh, We, like I said, we have this, we have this love for Texas. And I think Florida has the same thing. You know, their people have the same thing for Florida. Mm -hmm. Uh, This arrogance, you know, Texas is better than every, we do. It's bad. And it's, I don't know if it's a, you know, why or how it happened, but
0: Texas people, we love Texas. If nothing else on paper. You are the only state that like legally does not have to put up with shit. So it's oh, in your, it's, it's in your charter. See- you can leave whenever you want. So I mean, yeah. that's going to do something special for you. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's crazy. So, all right. What uh, what else you want to talk about, Nikki?
0: <laughs> we, we this, is, go, this is what, you, whatever, man. You're doing, you're doing great. We, what we what do you want to talk or, about? Well, I mean, eight years of talking on a microphone and will learn how to to do it um well the pr- danger in that is then it gets very i start asking questions and that becomes its own own weirdness
1: <laughs> shoot for it let's, let's try give me a couple questions
0: well let's let's start i don't know if you've covered this in the air but so what What do you do what is your thing Mm
1: Uh, Are you talking about the dad hat or me as a person?
0: Well, you can take that question however you want to take it. What's what's the thing you want to talk about? In fact, what what is what is the thing that you want to talk about so much that you started a podcast about it?
1: Hmm. A lot of it was I don't want. I hate saying current events, but I call it modernity because I feel like the life that we live, the the place that we're at in the world in America right now. Is so different than any other time that I wanted to hear everybody's take on it. I mm-hmm. wanted to understand because uh, there's you know 330 million different takes of America, you know, of mm-hmm. what's happening in America right now. So I was like, well, oh, I could put a, a small dent in it at least. Let's let's give it a shot. So that's kind of where you know my my want for it was. Uh, another thing that I wanted to do, or I had a that I fantasized about was interviewing like uh the fathers of very successful people that is something that you know i hope to do on this podcast at some Mm -hmm. point in time is you know uh who is you know the father of elon musk or who is the father of uh you know phil mickelson or tiger woods well tiger's Earl, Earl passed away so that's not that's not gonna happen but I was
0: gonna say like at a certain point don't, don't they have to eat their fathers isn't that, isn't that how lizard lizards work <laughs> they're the very successful people all I right, can't, all I right. can't.
1: no no okay so to, I don't know is that what happens do, do they eat their fathers is that I mean how you, works? the one
0: you'd really want to talk to is Elon Musk's dad yeah, that's... I don't I can't even think where he, what, what that guy would be
1: well, I know
0: Why that... did you let your kid date Grimes? That's all I really want to ask him.
1: Oh man. <laughs> I think I think Elon passed him up so long ago that his father knows not to say anything. Ask him anything. What <laughs> I mean, what are you gonna ask him? Your your son is I don't think his dad I mean I wish I knew, I I should look it up, but I don't think his dad was, you know, uber successful. I think that he was I think part of the reason why Elon is so successful is he's he's on the spectrum, right? He's he's autistic, right?
0: Mm, I mean, in the same way, I'm on the spectrum, sure.
1: Okay, uh, is that a can I say that? Is that some, is that offensive thing to say on the spectrum? As far I, as being, I to guess some I people, to some people,
0: maybe like you know, you, you oh, just all you have to do is own what you say. Yeah, I mean, my yeah. my, my like. I think both me and my wife are Aspies with Aspergers. She so definitely.
1: Well, Elon, that's you know that's what yeah. uh, Elon has as well or or is, and
0: mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a lot of famous people with it. For the record, one of my really? favorite one of my favorites Come, is uh, Dan Aykroyd.
1: No way. hmm. So, t- so tell me a little bit about, about Asperger's because I have this wrong idea about it because I've only known personally uh, well, two people.
0: It, well, the thing is, is it, it depends with anything, like I guess how it manifests and stuff like that. Like my, the way that my wife has it is not near as bad as her brother. Her brother is basically all he wants to do is sit and play video games and draw cartoons and like mm. has n- just straight up no interest in other people. Whereas, like with me and my wife, we have difficulty sometimes connecting with other people. Mm-hmm. Now she has a more difficult time with it because I kind of—I would to say to people's because as a musician, I've had to learn how to fake being personable. I guess like mm-hmm. I, I, most people, I think would assume I'm an extrovert, but I'm absolutely I not. I put on the airs really good, and then I go and right, I'm just gonna hide in my cave here for a couple hours and relax and chill. <laughs> <laughs> Two days later, you come out <laughs> ready ready to meet some more people there yeah yeah um, okay. but I guess it's more you know learning the tools of how to deal with things um like you, you, she would if you really want to talk someone about asper she she'd be more of a uh more of an expert than I ever would be like for me like i I, I think that there that I, I am a little bit but not in such a such a manner that it like it really affects my life. Like, I think I have panic attacks, like in weird moments, like if I have to go into unnatural situations or a lot of new people, things like that really trigger me. But I'm also not sitting at home, drawing cartoons and playing video games all day, every day at 40 years old. So it hasn't, it hasn't limited my life in that way.
1: So how does it contribute to, you know, the extraordinary? Like Elon is, you know, focus when you, Oh, it's focus.
0: It, 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 when, like with her brother, like he, there, there is nothing outside of that stuff that he can. Like where you, or you, or me, like who's not that bad, we'll have things that can come in and like, gather our attention and kind of oh, here come look at this shiny thing. Wow. When people like that, and if they choose like Elon, he read a lot of books and just kept reading books and kept reading books, and because that's what he wanted to do, there was nothing. That was going to derail him from doing that, and learning more. Now, like you said, in the case of my my uh, brother in law who just wants to play video games, it's you know not as useful, I guess, to say going <laughs> reading every book in the world. Sure. But you know, like that's it's the focus thing. It's just locking into and having being able to just only care about this one thing. Mm. But there is also the drawbacks to only caring about that one thing. And that, like, you want to talk about having difficulty building personal relationships? Yeah. Well, when you only care about that, like, and you'll you'll kind of get that feeling, like when you if yeah. you're, say talk to my brother-in-law.
1: I gotcha. That's uh, that's wild. So I wonder how Dan Aykroyd and his great ability to focus. How that turned him into a comedian. I wonder what that. I wonder what that story was like.
0: Well, what's interesting with him is that you think of Dan Aykroyd as a comedian, and I Mm -hmm. do to agree, but I also think of him as a dude who has hosted an aliens podcast or like an aliens radio show for I think twenty some years, and who's like really obsessed with blues music. Like (laughs) those are the things that which is hilarious in
1: my opinion. To begin, I was like. What is this? <laughs> right, yeah, like
0: I it the funny. the blues brothers was a thing for a reason because he genuinely loves blues music, and it's one of those things like you you hear him talk about that or you hear him talk about like extraterrestrials, and you all of a sudden you're on another planet. It just happens to be that like he went and and learned how to do funny when he was doing all that. But how much of that is like what 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 is the funniest Dan Aykroyd stuff? Well, without question, it's it's the ghostbusters where he's talking about ghosts and goblins, or it's him in the cone heads where he's playing an alien. <laughs> yeah. Or, sure. or even better, when he's playing, playing a bluesman in the blues brothers, it's the stuff that you can feel the connection. Like just really understood it. That's like, yeah. to me, that's what it really sells as.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, uh, I can, I can get on that train. I think, I think that's probably very close to correct. Um, Man, Dan Aykroyd, huh?
0: What, what's another one? You got another? You got another? Oh one? God, who's? Um, I used to have a, a laundry list of them. They're people, you people you'd never expect. I um, uh, want to call my wife and say, "Liz, who's on the list?" What's um, on the list? Liz? Honestly, you, you, what you should do, do. Honestly, go and look look up a list of like fam- favorite people, famous people with Aspergers. Yeah. And it's I'll take a look. It's also a lot larger longer of a list than you'd think it would be. Yeah. Like I think especially when you start getting to historical people, mm-hmm. like because then you're kind of getting into speculation because it didn't exist way back then, like you're looking at people in the eighteen hundreds with it. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a diagnosis.
1: Yeah. Uh, Nikki, earlier you uh I'm gonna I'm gonna take us off into a new direction here. You you called okay. yourself a libertarian. What is okay. what does that mean?
0: That means a lot of things to a lot of different people Uh, I think Back in like the late 90's